One of the differences between Vince and I is the way we vacation. When it's not a pandemic, I go on vacation someplace tropical and warm and lay down on sand and read and don't go anywhere, even if there's a really interesting art deco museum that's like right there. Vince goes on vacations that include hiking painful terrain that give him blisters on the first day. Or once he went out west with his best friend in the middle of winter to see the increasingly endangered sage grouse. It was a vacation that entailed him getting up at like two in the morning or something and putting on a bunch of layers to get to a bird blind by like three in the morning to wait for the sage grouse to show up, to wait in the dark and the cold with a bunch of other shushy birders. I'm sure they were nice, but they did have to be quiet. But the sage grouse are worth it, at least for Vince and Karen. The male sage grouse has these kind of um, disturbing air sacs on their chest that they inflate during their mating display, which is like a dance that they dance in this slow circle. It's dramatic. And as I say, for some people, disturbing. For other people, it's beautiful and worth going out west in the middle of winter and getting up in the middle of a cold night. Now's the time to see them though, because the sage grouse will almost certainly become extinct. There are not enough birds left to make it long-term. I recently learned a lot about sage grouse thanks to a podcast that Vince recommended. It's all about what gets called the most controversial bird in the West. I have to say for a non-birder, it's a surprisingly bingeable podcast. In the final episode, the reporter is crouching in a blind in the cold and dark where she can hear coyotes in the distance and much closer, right outside the blind, she can hear the sage grouse who are dancing around inches from her microphone. And inside her blind, she whispers into her own recorder, I've never been this close before. The sun's rising, I'm really cold, but I wouldn't trade this for anything. There's so much sadness. There's so many things that feel like they're not working, but to be here with these birds, there are tears in my eyes. I've been numb for a long time. You can't be numb in the presence of animals like this. Wild, unapologetic beauty. She had spent months reporting the story. She talked to ranchers and environmental activists and a very dear biologist who has devoted his whole life to the sage grouse. He was with her when she saw her first sage grouse ever and he was in the other blind that morning. Given what's coming for the sage grouse, she asked him how he can let himself care so much given the pain that's inevitable. But it was almost like he couldn't take the question in. Is it better not to care? That way you don't have to worry about being hurt, he repeated. Like he didn't quite get it. I'll have to think about that one. That biologist had fallen in love a long time ago in a way that he couldn't help He'd fallen in love with the sage grouse in a way that's now part of who he is. He's the kind of person who every decoration in his house is connected to sage grouse. His dog has a name that's connected to sage grouse. 
The reporter was falling in love too, having come that close to something, some beauty that she couldn't deny. It woke her up and it stripped away her numbness. And yes, it left her vulnerable to the inevitable pain of loss, the pain of inevitable loss. According to the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, there are currently 35,500 species threatened with extinction, including 14% of birds. 14% of birds, all the birds. It's a lot of birds to need to fall in love with. Never mind all the amphibians and the coral reefs and the mammals and the conifers. I mean, it's going to take a lot more good-hearted biologists, a lot more surprisingly compelling podcasts. Because the temptation to throw in the towel is strong. Who cares? The chances of enough people falling in love with slightly disturbing and or beautiful birds is low. By the time Moses crossed paths with the burning bush, he had already been awakened. He was not numb, far from it. In fact, he was, he was angry, he was enraged to the point of murder over the enslavement of his own people, the Israelite people. He already knew about all the ways they were endangered. But after, in his rage, he had killed an Egyptian, Egyptian enslaver, he fled to the middle of nowhere. He hid out, he regrouped. He worked for his father-in-law managing livestock. And it was there in his fallback position, his withdrawal, that God found him and got his attention again. The podcast reporter, the Sage Grouse podcast reporter, she was in a fallback position too. She had done years of environmental reporting for NPR and spent all this time trying to fit giant sad stories into three minute snippets. And after years of it, she quit and moved to the middle of nowhere with her spouse. She started to learn how to herd cattle and tried to let herself heal from so many years of feeling helpless. Anyway, something wild caught Moses' attention and he turned to investigate. Why didn't the fire consume the bush? And from the middle of the flame, the middle of the mystery, God called to him. And when he stepped closer, the voice also told him to stop. The word God used to tell Moses to take off his shoes, remove the sandals from your feet. The same word is used in the Bible to describe olives just dropping off trees. Like, slip off your shoes, Moses. And in modern Hebrew, it's the word that describes a snake shedding its skin. Moses, slip out of that skin. God asks Moses, who was not numb to begin with, to shed his old skin. Shedding skin is a practice that, for snakes anyway, is about growth as their old skins become actually too small for them. It's a process that's about health as those old skins can carry disease and parasites. New skins fit them, can accommodate their growth. New skins bring a clean bill of health. New skins are necessary. And they also come, I found out just this week, new skins come with a little bit of danger for snakes. Because while shedding a, a snake's vision can become blurry to the point of impairment, Slip off your old skin, Moses. Stop right there. 
and slip out of it. There's more to come, more vulnerability, more growth, more wonder. There's more of the world that is holy than you knew. In fact, this very spot. And Moses hid his face, afraid to look at God. I mean, after all, it was a lot to ask. There are those of us who have fallen in love with a particular bird or prevents lots of birds. People who have fallen in love with a particular need or a particular people, thank God. Thank God for those people it is, if not effortless, then it's unavoidable that they would love those things, that they would care for them and advocate for them and fight for them. Thank God for the things you care about the particular beauty or strangeness of the world that has caught your attention, the pressing need that you can't stop thinking about, can't avoid doing something about. Thank God for the moments when the world blazes up all at once or gradually over months or years and grabs our attention and wakes us up. And more cautiously, Thank God for the moments that demand of us that we shed the old skin. The moments that demand that we inch by inch peel off our numbness and start anew again. That we start anew with clean, fresh skin that will again get soiled by crawling through the pain of the world. Start anew with clean, healthy skin that will again become diseased by what we come in contact with, thank God. And this maybe is where courage comes in. This is where resilience comes in. Because this is where fear comes in. Moses hiding his face. It's too much. After all, I've been through, even so, I've never been this close. The kind-hearted biologist Talking about the sage grouse says that loving something like the sage grouse is part of what makes us human. It's part of what makes the world such a wonderful place to live in. He talks about how it's our responsibility, but he also says if we choose not to care, that says a lot about us, about us being human. Maybe when we shed our old skin, we become again newly human. but there's absolutely a point that is too close, that can feel like too much proximity to all of it pressing in. We can't listen to enough podcasts. We can't fall in love with enough birds. We can't care about enough people, any of us individually. At a certain point, we have to take each other's words for it. I have to know what you've come to care about, if not effortlessly, then unavoidably. And maybe at a certain point, you have to believe me that the thing I love is worth it too. Maybe believing one another is part of what invites us to shed our skin again, to slip off the old, dry, crackling skin and to become newly, human again. 
I mean, it's possible. The phenomenon of the world may blaze up and catch our attention, make us turn aside and investigate in the middle of our ordinary lives, even part of our work. And close up, we may fall in love and, and then have to live with that risk, that vulnerability for the rest of our lives. Otherwise, we'll just have to believe each other, take each other's words for it, and share the work. I think that's part of the promise, the assurance of God telling Moses to stop. That you yourselves, full of the mystery of God, you yourself, part of the beautiful phenomena of the world, you yourselves will not be consumed, not by need or beauty. Being consumed is not what God asks of you. It's not what God needs from you. God wants you barefoot with new skin, yes. But also God will help you know where to stop and come no closer to let someone else do the work. The world is vast. The world is temporary. The need is endless. The beauty is alarming. And all of it, all of it is God's who loves it. <laughs>